Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you um, and he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church and we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. I'm Adam. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, so glad you're hanging out with us today. And you know, for me, uh, Connor, where's Connor? There he is. I, I really love a good movie. You know, I don't, I don't think there's a uh, I don't think there's anything quite like going to the movie theater, grabbing some popcorn and some Sour Patch Kids, and watching a movie unfold in front of you. Has anybody experienced this before? Of a really great story? Um, tell, tell your seatmate next to you, since you've already been talking to him, tell him your favorite movie real quick. Just say, hey, this is, the top, this is my favorite movie. Just go ahead and tell him. I'm, mine's Moneyball, in case you're wondering. You know, I think that we generally, we, we love movies, um, we love getting pulled into a story, and, and, and it's not just, I don't think it's just because of the escapism that it gives us, uh, but also because a, a really great storyline helps us to learn about life. It, it gives us really um, unique perspectives from, from life lessons, uh, uh, maybe about uh, persistence or about the power of love. Uh, it gives us uh, a, a picture of history sometimes or, or real life facts. And so after we watch a movie, we know how, uh, um, how uh, an attorney works in New York, how the law actually works there. Or sometimes we just get really great quotes that we can use uh, often and repeat them to our friends. Uh, pull that slide up for me, Caleb, if it'll cooperate. Yeah, so just, I just threw a few up here. You probably ain't seen or heard these before. I'll be back. Uh, you shall not pass. Uh, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home to infinity and beyond. And then, of course, lastly, life is like a box of chocolates. Help me out. You never know what you're going to get. Okay, so we, we understand uh, the thrill of a great movie, and, and whether, it's, whether it's being played out of the theater or in your own living room, uh, what happens is we start to see a story unfold through the lens, the point of view of, of these different uh, unique characters with their, only, uh, with their pers- particular perspective. And so I've already said it, but POV, what's that stand for, church? Point of view. Point of view, and 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 I saw this uh, from Lindsay the other day on her social. But this is maybe one point of view that your kids see this summer when you're buckling them in. Pull that up, Caleb. <laughs> this is what they see on a hot Kentucky summer day. Um, you know, 
One thing I've learned about point of view, and maybe if it's from the movies though, is that just because you possess a point of view doesn't always make it the correct point of view. And we all know this because our, our, our wisdom, our knowledge, it's limited. We are finite human beings and, and our personal prejudices and biases come in all the time to affect our perspectives. And so this is true of life, but it's not just true of life. I think it's also true of our belief system. And so uh, if you were to take that word faith, for example, um, what kind of movie reel scene plays in your mind when you think of that word? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's George Michael's, you got to have faith. Or if you came out of a really uber uh, charismatic movement, when you think of faith, you like default to uh, old school Benny Hinn, Street Fighter Jesus with people falling out on the floor and flopping like a fish. Um, we all have different unique perspectives. Maybe whenever you hear the word uh, faith, you think of faith as an artifact. And so for you, faith is really about crucifixes and, 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 and prayer necklaces and old dead guys. Um, but, but in Christianity, there's really no power in an artifact. The power is in the, the person that the artifact's pointing to who is Jesus, amen? And, and maybe you think of faith as an absence of all doubt, uh, sometimes we'll talk about faith and, and th- think about it in terms of it's this leap. And when we say that, a lot of times it's, it's meant to be or is intended to be said as this, this, uh, this jump without any evidence to support the jump, that it's irrational. Others talk about faith as it's just intellectual ascent and, and it's just facts about God. Still others think of faith as, uh, as it's just good vibes, and what we do is we reduce, we reduce faith to just faith in faith. And you'll hear people sometimes say things and they'll, and they'll go, well, I just, I just believe, man, something good's going to happen. And I'm like, hey, great, that's great. You know, more power to you, but there's really no power uh, in that at all. Now, whenever the Bible Whenever it gives its POV on faith, it has a a variety of ways that it uses and illustrates faith, and there's a whole list of ways that it talks about faith. There's a, there's a saving faith, a justification sort of faith. There's a, there's a, a dead faith, a strong faith, a weak faith, uh, no faith, demonic faith, um, historical faith. And part of this is because whenever we read the scripture, the word grouping that comes in, uh, into English as faith, it's, it's translated as both nouns and verbs for us and and so in other words whenever you read something this is like I believe or I have belief both faith and belief are the exact same word in the Greek and then just so you know in the in the New Testament Greek as a verb it shows up 217 times in the Old Testament Hebrew it shows up as a noun 227 times uh, faithful occurs 49 times to break faith is 35 all of this giving us a, a, around a totality in the original language of 528 times faith is used tell your neighbor say hey that's a lot of faith that's a lot of faith See, church, biblical faith, it, it, it's about believing God enough to go, but it's also about trusting God enough to wait. It's fearing God enough to sacrifice. It's, it's desiring him enough to actually pursue him. It's loving God enough to endure. It doesn't create as much as it, as it receives, and faith is a weapon inside the hand of a believer and we go to church and, you know, the preacher, he talks about faith and the band, they, they sing songs about faith. And sometimes even in the title of the church name, it says the, the word faith. 
and faith. It's, it's, such a, it's such a little word, but it carries these really monster implications along with it. And it's like, well, why, why am I making such a big deal about faith? Because Hebrews famously reminds us this. Listen, this is Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See, biblical faith, it's always been the same. It's always been fixed. Whether it's these macro moments of faith where like a sea splits in two or, or whether it's micro and the, the day-to-day kind of meandering journey, it's always fixed because it's always fixed on someone, an object who is Jesus. And he's always the same. Today, tomorrow, and forever. And because of that, because Jesus has revealed himself, and and because he's made some promises, and, and because he's acted powerfully in the past, and he showcased his supremacy to us, and, and he's won our loyalty, what it does in us is it's caused us to believe and to trust in faith just because of who our God is. That's a POV of biblical faith. And In this series so far, we've talked about the why of disciple-making, why uh, we're called as believers, as followers of Jesus, to make disciple cycles. And then last week, Pastor John, he talked about this urgency that we need in accomplishing that mission. And and today, um, the the POV is going to focus in on what sustains us in that jump. And, And the answer to that is faith. It's faith. And so today for week three of the bite of belief is what we're talking about. And I'm going to show you today, I'm going to show you three points of view on faith from a story in the scripture. Some of it's uh, micro, some of it's macro, uh, some of the views of faith. You'll see people who are faithful following Jesus and you'll see some people who are, are faithless in following him. And so if you have your Bible, go with me to Luke chapter 5. And we'll read verses 17 uh, through 26 together. This is the story of the, Jesus healing the paralytic. And as you're, as you're turning there, I just want to set just a frame of uh, context for you so you know what's coming. In Luke uh, chapter 4, when you read Luke chapter 4, uh, it actually begins to record uh, the three years of Jesus preaching and his teaching and his disciple making. And this is known um, as, as the ministry of Jesus. And here on the screen you see it. Jesus makes this declarative statement as he's preaching. And he says, I must preach the good news for I was sent for this purpose. And so you've got Jesus, the greatest preacher, the greatest expositor of all time, preaching the word. And in Luke, what he does is he lays out for us a sequence of stories in Luke chapter 5. That leads into our story today. And so here's the title scenes for that really quickly. Um, Chapter 5, 1 through 11, it begins with this catch of fish where Jesus performs this miracle with some fish and he turns uh, Simon's boat into a pulpit. Uh, Then in verses 12 through 16, it's the story of Jesus where he heals the leper. And the leper, was this was someone who was outcast by society. So he had lost his family. He lost his friends. He had lost his livelihood. And then Jesus does this amazing thing and he touches him to heal him. 
And so Jesus has performed all of these miracles and he's turned water into wine. To this point, he's rebuked fever off of people. Um, he has he is healed and word has gotten out about what Jesus has done and who he is. He's exercised demons and the people around uh, Jesus, they find out that, hey, there's no, there's no copay, there's no deductible at this uh, spiritual urgent care that Jesus has. And so the line starts to get really long around Jesus. And so what does Jesus do in verses, I think it's 15 and 16 or 14 and 15. Yeah, 15 and 16. He retreats to rest with his father first. Then it brings us to 17 through 26 today. So Jesus comes back from his rest with his father. And the line of the crowd is still really long to get in to see him as he's teaching. So we'll read this together. 517 through 26. Uh, Do you love Jesus Rest Church? Amen. You ready to study his word this morning? This is what it says. On one of those days as he was teaching, uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus the hill. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question this, saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise and walk, but that you may know, he says, here's the why, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God and amazement seized everybody. And they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. As we, as we look at this story and, and I'm gonna show you three different points of view in this story in regards to faith and our main point's really simple from Hebrews uh, that I read earlier and it's just this that without faith it is impossible to please God without faith it's impossible to please God so we'll pray and then we'll work through this together if you would pray with me Lord Jesus we come to you this morning as your church and, and ask you Holy Spirit to teach us today God, we, we know that faith, it's not just an internal thing, internal, God, but that it's also external and, and it's how we behave, God. Our belief and our behavior are deeply, deeply connected. And so today, Jesus, I pray that you would, if we, if we just have this idea of faith that it's some privatized sector, that you would just remove that because you called us to go to preach the good news. It was the reason that you were sent also. And so, Lord, I pray for our faith to grow this morning in you. God, and if we're, if we're paralyzed in, in any sort of way, God, that you would flip that around us into some praise for you. We love you, and we ask all of these things. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. So, the first 
point of view, you can pull that up, Caleb, I want to show you, is the point of view of the four friends that show up in this story. The point of view of the four friends that show up. And, and, and these are four friends that, who bring their paralyzed friend into Jesus. They know where Jesus is teaching at. And so they show up with him. We'll start in verse 18 and 19. It says, And behold, some of the men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus and, you know, sometimes whenever we read this story in Luke chapter 5, these four friends, they often take a back seat in, in the story. But what I want to do is I want to zoom in on them a little bit and bring them kind of to the forefront this morning. Because as you read the story, the forgiveness of sins and the healing of this guy, it's amazing. And we're going to talk about that. And when you see the lack of faith of the, the religious guys, it's shocking. And we're going to talk about that too. But first, you and I, we need to sit down uh, and, and not overlook the faith of this guy's four crazy friends because they were on a mission to help get their friend to Jesus. And they've heard about Jesus. They've, they, they've seen what he's done. Perhaps they were even there just a few verses back as Jesus healed that, that leper. And I love the initiative that these guys take, just four really ordinary guys. And even though we, we don't even know their names in, in the story, what we do know from the story is that they had some really audacious sort of faith because they so strongly believed that Jesus could make a difference in the life of their buddy's life, that nothing was going to discourage, nothing was going to deter, nothing was going to dissuade them from getting him in front of Jesus. And so what happens is that all of the four, maybe one of the four, but all of the four eventually, they, they go, hey, we, we got to do whatever we got to do to get him in front of Jesus because we know that Jesus, he changes things. And so what they do is they, they pick him up, right? They, they pick him up. And they are, are taking him to Jesus. And we don't, we don't know, we don't have a full picture of their plan. We don't know if they made a, made a, a pro-con chart before they went and grabbed this guy. Uh, we don't know if they had some conversation or, or, or some doubts as they, as they picked him up. They probably did have some doubts because doubt's an inescapable part of the human condition. We all have doubts. We don't have the full plan, but we have a piece of it. And so for us, when it comes to us following God in faith, some of us are going to make a plan. I love a good plan, Pastor John. But sometimes what we'll do is we'll take that plan and then we'll replan the plan and we'll overanalyze the plan because we're not sure if we're thinking enough about the plan. And then we submit the plan and we go back and we doubt the plan that we submitted. Josh gets it. And what happens in this Church, is a lot of time, remember this is us following God, what we'll do is we'll go, ready, aim, 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 and we never fire. And so church, when it comes to us following God in faith, we're on the macro moments or, or even in the mac micro day to day, at some point we have to pull the trigger. For these four, their plan is this. I love it. It's just like, they're just going, hey, look, let's just, let's just get him in front of Jesus and we'll sort out the rest later. 
To which Proverbs 17 reminds us this, a friend is always loyal, a brother is born to help in time of adversity. And so I just wonder this morning, church, do you have any friends like this, a crazy sort of friend or or, or friend group that's just crazy enough to believe that God can do anything that he says he can do? And, And you know, I can't speak for you on this, but for me, some of my best moments with Jesus have been a result of the, the faith of the, my friends. And what they've done for me is they've, they've, you know, they've, they've identified sinful patterns in my life and shown them to me. Sometimes they have helped me process things that I was really just too scared to handle by myself. And in seasons where early on where I was absent from the church, they called to bring me back to it. And some of the best times of spiritual life for you are going to be because of your stubborn, faithful, crazy Christian friends. Which is why we believe here at Rest that the local church is so important to God's plan. In fact, the other day, Pastor John, he sent a, he sent a text message to the pastor team. And I told him I was going to work it in today. And so here it is, John. Um, he was like... Uh, I love you guys. I want you to know I'm covering all of you in, in prayer this morning, praying for your families and uh, praying the armor of God over you. Hey, keep pressing forward. Keep moving forward. And uh, Carl and, and Jerry did a similar thing for me this week. Thanks, guys. Uh, but John was like, I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm picturing the movie 300 here. And uh, he just went, he went on to be like, do you remember when King Leonidas was talking about the formation that the Spartan soldiers would use during battle? And, and King Leonidas described it like this. He said, each soldier holds up their shield to protect the comrade uh, from his left, uh, from thigh high to their neck. Now, if you're not familiar with this movie, that's okay. Uh, but in, in historical Spartan culture, the Spartans, they were, they were notorious for developing some of the most fierce and some of the most effective soldiers of all of the ancient world. And one of their military strategies involved the aspis, which is a picture here for you. It's a, a curved circular shield. And each soldier was told and expected to protect their shield with their life. And so their shield for them, it was more than just another piece of military equipment. It was a deeply symbolic part of the soldier's identity. And, and in fact, Spartan women are, are uh, said to have said to their sons going off into war, this phrase, return with your shield or on it. If that's me, I'm like, thanks for the encouragement, mom. Um, but what, what's really unique about this Spartan shield is that it wasn't primarily connected to an individual soldier's well-being, but the shield was meant for the greater good of the whole army. Because each man would cover the man next to him, and, and when you were covering the man next to you, it would give that man the, 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 the confidence to go out and fight without having to worry about their blind spot. And, and so not to spin yarn on this, but John went on to say, he said, if our shields are, are made of faith, Ephesians 6, and we're holding them up to protect one another, then we have nothing to fear. And he said, I know you know this, but it sure is encouraging uh, to hear often. And I told him, I texted back, I said, I'm, I'm using that Sunday. That's really good, good stuff. And um, also sent this gif over. And I said, it makes me want to yell uh, pull that up. This is the gospel. And that's a, <laughs> that was, so that's our, our conversation. But um, 
The four guys from this story, see, they didn't, they didn't just raise their shield, though, to pray for this guy, and they didn't just sign up for a meal train. They didn't just throw cash at him, all of which are really good things. But what they did is they actually went to this man, their paralyzed friend, to do something really ordinary that would lead to something extraordinary in church. This is why having a friend that will carry you to Jesus is incredibly underrated, but but also being a friend that will do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus is never overrated. This is part of God's divine design for community that as I'm pouring myself out for, for those around me, it's, it's growing their faith, but it's also growing my faith. And so I'll just ask you, are you holding up your shield for those around you? Now I wanna point out just one more thing in this point of view from the four friends here, and we'll move on. Verse 19. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Uh, I'm not sure about you, but when I read verse 19, I've just got to giggle a little bit as I imagine this scene playing out in, in, in real life. So like, think about it. So first, the four guys, they have to convince their buddy to let them pick him up and carry him in front of God and everybody to Jesus. And so they go to this guy, they convince him somehow, they're like, hey, it's good, we're gonna, we're gonna roll you up like a taquito and we're gonna carry you there, right? So they gotta convince him. And they, they pick him up and they're carrying him. So that was obstacle number one that they overcome. They're like, it's gonna be great. And then the second obstacle that they, we see in the story is that they, they're following God in faith. It's so great. Their hands are lifted. They're praising God. And then they show up and it's crowded and they can't get this guy to Jesus. And so you just imagine from their perspective how their hearts might have sank as they showed up and they see that this house that Jesus is teaching at, that it's filled to capacity. What would you do? Well, these four will not be denied, and so they improvise. They, they, they see this not as an obstacle, but they turn it into this really unique opportunity to go up to the roof. Now, in the Jewish culture, th- their house is their roof. It's not like yours, and it's not like my roof. They had a flat roof, and it really, if it had a small, if any, uh, pitch to this roof, and because of the rooms on the inside were so small, the, the, the top of the roof, it was a common place for family activity because it was the largest area. Now, the, the access to the roof would have come from an outside staircase that was attached to the house, and so these four, they take the difficult ca- task of carrying this guy on his stretcher up the steps to get to the roof. And when they get there, they set the, the stretcher down, and then they begin to tear the roof apart. Now, their roof, it wasn't corrugated metal, it wasn't shingles, but their, their roof, it would have been made with branches that were laying across ceiling beams and packed down with dry mud that, that the sun had dried out. And so it would have been sturdy enough for people to walk on, but it could also be uh, ripped through or dug through. And so they don't give up at this obstacle. They don't turn around. They don't go back. They make a decision in faith to remove the roof. And so... They begin to LeBron James their way without any regard for human life down through the top of this roof and, 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 and they're ripping it to create a hole that's big enough for not just a grown man, but a grown man and his bed, his stretcher that he's on. Now, I, I say that this was an act of faith because they were counting 
on Jesus healing their friend because based on what they'd already seen them do in the past. Because otherwise, it would have been a lot harder trying to bring this guy back up through the roof than it was to lower him down through the top. And I just think about this scene, I've just got to laugh because Jesus, he's, he's preaching a sermon. He's in the middle of, of, of church. And like, just picture this with me right now. Like if we heard some banging up top, and, and some debris started falling down. Maybe a light fell. Everybody else underneath is scattering uh, away. And we see some light poke through. And all of a sudden, we see five heads pop up like a gopher through there. And they're like, hey, everybody. I, I, it's, it, it, everybody's looking in and trying to figure out what's going. Cody, the, they're, they're going, what in the Eastern Arkansas is going on here? Right? They, they don't know. They're confused. It's a roof-ripping kind of faith, and I love this because, man, some people today, they get so tore up if somebody spills some coffee in their sanctuary on their carpet, and, and I would have loved to see Peter and, Jane, or Peter and Andrew's face because probably their house that's getting tore up. But these four had a, such a strong belief in Jesus that they moved out of their comfort zone. They also moved people around them out of their comfort zones who didn't even ask to be moved out of their comfort zones, all for the benefit of someone else. And just like Jesus, these four come to do for this guy something he cannot do for himself. They don't care who's in the room with Jesus. They don't care what barriers are in the way. The paralyzed man needed Jesus now. And it was the faith-filled determination of four friends that got him there. Spurgeon, he was talking about this story, the, about the type of friend that it would take to do this. I just want to share this quote with you. He said, this is the quality of the man this would be, or woman. He said, they need to be strong for the burden is heavy. They need to be resolute for the work will try their faith. They need to be prayerful for otherwise they labor in vain and they must be believing or they will be utterly useless. So two, two real quick takeaways for us on this church. Number one, these four guys face an obstacle and they turn that into an opportunity. And when you have faith in following God, it's going to look crazy to people sometimes that are on the outside looking in. And I think it's a, a reminder for you and me that sometimes faith does follow a plan. But sometimes you get to the building and it's crowded and you have to pivot. And so sometimes faith does follow a plan, but sometimes faith shows up with the bazooka and blows up your plan. Because your plan isn't God's plan. And so they take an obstacle and turn it into an opportunity Sometimes we have to have this sort of roof-ripping faith in order to follow God. Number two, I think it poses a really good question for every one of us. And it's this, what are you willing to do to bring people to Jesus? What are you willing to do to bring people to Jesus? For your, your neighbor, your coworker, your family member, your friend, what are you willing to do to get them in front of Jesus? Or, or I'll put it like this, what are you willing to do about it? Because I think it's a question that God is really asking of us all. What are you willing to do about it? Have you ever even invited them to church? Have you, have you even invited them to your rest group? Have you, have you bought them a Bible? Have you bought them a, a meal? Have you asked them how you could pray for them? Remember, with, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now next, the, the next point of view we see in this movie is from Jesus. 
and he responds to this, and this will be a really quick section because we'll come back to Jesus in just a second. But verse 20, this is Jesus. He sees their faith, and he responds to their faith. Verse 20, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Um, again, I've, I've got to imagine Jesus in this moment smiling a little bit as he's watching this guy being lowered down uh, through through the roof to be healed, um, just as Jesus Christ was lowered down into uh, humanity, adding humanity to his divinity to heal others. And Jesus, uh, he's not angry at all that these guys show up and that they interrupted church and that they interrupted his, uh, his sermon through the roof and, and that roofing material is falling down, it's dropping on everybody's heads. He was thrilled at the faith that these friends had and uh, of the paralyzed man that they weren't wouldn't have dreamt of going home without getting him in front of Jesus and so this paralyzed man he's laying down in front of Jesus he's on his mat he's unable to walk and he's come to Jesus to be healed physically uh, because he was certain that Jesus could heal him but Jesus what he does is he sees a much greater need than than his uh paralyzed body Jesus looks in and he sees his paralyzed heart that's full of sin others see broken legs Jesus sees uh, a broken soul because sometimes faith that's what it does it sees things that other people can't see and which is a reminder for me and you here that that while physical healing is great on this earth it is not our our greatest need our greatest need is spiritual forgiveness Now, church, this doesn't mean that we don't believe in healing because we certainly do. We believe that God is able to physically heal people and praise God when that happens. But the bite of belief, what that says is it says, yes, I'm going to go. Yes, I'm going to have faith. And and yes, I'm going to show up on the roof because I believe that God is good. Whether or not he heals me because I trust him either way. And so it's, it's, it's that sort of faith that creates a confidence inside of you to follow God. And, and, and then you like, you run and you jump off and you're like, if he catches me, amen, praise God. I trust him in his sovereignty. And if you run and jump off and you fall on your face, you go, praise God, I trust him in his plan. That's the bite of belief. It's that sort of faith. Faith isn't just asking God to do what you want him to do for you. It's trust and belief that he's always going to do what's right. Without faith, it's impossible for us to please God. And when Jesus sees their faith here, he says this, Man, your sins are forgiven. And as Jesus says those words in verse 20, you can almost hear the telephone game being played in the crowd. That's all around. Remember, the house is packed. And so you can almost hear them going, what did he just say? He said, their sins are free. What is he talking about with this? And, 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 and in Jesus' assessment of this guy, which brings us to our next point of view, the religious guys. The religious guys' point of view. And we'll look at verse 17 first really quickly. Because earlier on, back in the start in verse 17, we get this clue on What's happening? And it says this, on one of those days as Jesus was teaching, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the text there says that Jesus was teaching. In fact, he was teaching a lot of days, but on one particular day, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law or the scribes, they show up 
and, and so they're all, they're all sitting at the front row of Jesus' teaching. They, they've got their laptops open. They've got their pens out uh, ready to, to give their opinion to the world and evaluation and advice to Jesus. Do you know somebody like this who, who thinks they're more spiritual than Jesus is? So I got some advice for him. Well, after Jesus says those words to the paralytic man, your sins are forgiven. Here's the point of view of this group of religious people. Verse 21. Look at verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, if you'll, if you'll remember this religious group, they were already leery toward Jesus. They were already hostile toward Jesus. And they'd just seen this spectacle of this man being dropped down through the roof in the middle of service. And, and so they're thinking, well, that doesn't seem like proper church decorum. And, and they say this, they're like, they're going, who does this guy think that he is? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive Sin and, and so they have a theological objection to this whole scene, and they're going, Jesus, what is the what's the theological presupposition for your healing here? And and, and so like th- their objection, okay, on on one hand, they get it right, but they also get something wrong. And what they get wrong isn't their assumption about God forgiving sin. They're totally right. Only God can forgive sin. What they get wrong is that their assumption that Jesus isn't God. And all they can see is a paralyzed man sitting in front of them. But Jesus is going to show them that it's actually their hearts and their eyes that are the ones that are paralyzed. And so Jesus, he's going he's gonna to heal this guy. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But the Pharisees and the scribes, rather than rejoicing, what they start doing is they start criticizing. And I want to just set out just a little bit of their mindset for you so you understand this picture some more. The word Pharisee, it means literally the separated one. The separated one. And so their ideology when it came to sin is they thought that sin really was more caught than anything. And, and, and so the, their picture of sin was that it's, it's out there somewhere and not in, in, in here. And so they worked really hard to, to stay away from, you know, the sinners because they're the unclean ones. We're the clean ones. They're the unholy ones. We're the holy guys. And so they couldn't be near them because they didn't want to catch their, their sin. And, and that's what religious people tend, tend to always think. And if you've been with us in any period of time as we've been working through the book of Romans, you, you know what they did. They would take the Bible um, and, and, and they would add additional rules to go alongside of the Bible. So what they would say is they would go, well, you don't want to get near sinners. You don't want to get near their sin. And so you should obey the rules and also you should obey these additional rules that we've added alongside of the Bible that we've made up. Religious people love the rules. They make rules about the rules. And so I find it so interesting here that you see this picture of this scene and the religious guys don't do anything to help this man. He gets lowered down and they're not the ones jumping up off the, off the front row. They don't go, hey, we should, we should really step aside so this guy who needs help can get to Jesus. They're so worried about uh, Jesus saying something that they could disagree with so that they could go back and criticize him and be a keyboard hero about it on Facebook. And what's happened is they are completely oblivious to the hurting and needing people around them who need Jesus. This is how religious people always operate. They don't come to learn, they come to argue. 
It's a critical disposition, a pharisaical attitude that, that says, hey, I'm, I'm always right, and I know there's always something wrong, so I'm going to look for something to try to find something that's wrong so I can tell you how wrong that you are. Because I'm not here to learn, I'm here to critique. That's what they were doing. And they're, they're, like, a, they're like a bloodhound with a bone to pick, man. They just come in, they've got a, a you know, gun loaded and, and the furrowed brow. And, and I don't know if you get this or have seen this or not, but they're oblivious to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so what, what's going on is we see these pictures of macro faith and micro faith, and they're so busy trying to micromanage everybody else's faith is that they miss the whole need that's sitting right in front of them. And I don't know if you see this or not, but it was the church people who were getting in the way of the needy one getting to Jesus. Do you see that? And it's like, Tristan, holy shnikes, Batman, right? Because not a lot has changed in 2,000 years of church people getting in the way of other people getting to Jesus. And it's, it, I think it's amazing that the, the four want to get the, this guy to Jesus, yet the very ones who are supposed to be providing access, the religious leaders, they're the ones blocking the way. And so just let me ask you, church, how many of you know, know how many of you know that the guy that's sitting on the bench, he never gets tackled. The guy that's sitting on the bench, he never gets, gets tackled. So hear me on this. The very fact that you get tackled from time to time by religious people isn't a sign that God has left you, but it's a sign that you're actually in the game of faith. And, and, and so as we look to follow God in faith and, and we look to plant a church, in Metropolis, you better believe some religious people are going to rise up and have some things to say about it. And ultimately, what this is, man, it's, a, it's such an old tactic. It's the enemy sending you threats because you are one. And, and, and so I just want to put three things in front of you really quick on, on this, really, really fast. You will be attacked from the outside and the inside and the above. From the outside, the inside, and above. <laughs> planning a church is like starting a, a business with a product that everybody needs but nobody wants and so you will be attacked from the outside Jesus reminds us in John 15 18 he says if the world hates you remember it hated me first for the non-believers that come against you Jesus says hey been there got the t-shirt opposition will also come from religious people inside of the church and Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by those whom he loved. Let me remind you that it was religious people that crucified Jesus. And lastly, it will come from above the spiritual realm. Satan and demons, they hate you because they hate God. They hate your plan because they hate God's plan. And so they're going to do everything they can do to, to take you out. So you better, man, if you're getting involved with this or trying to follow God in any way of faith, you're going you're gonna to have some bouts of depression come up. You're going to find yourself in some spiritual funk. You're going to have the temptations that are around you heightened even more. And so with these three oppositions, really, really fast, I want to put three in front of you, three point of views that you can fight with. Number one, remember, your fight's not against people. That's number one. It's not against people, not even religious people. Uh, Ephesians 6, your fight's not against flesh and blood enemies, but against the unseen powers in this dark world, the spirits in heavenly places. And so don't, don't, let me just say, don't waste your time fighting people, especially believers. Don't, don't waste your energy on that, because if you're doing that, you're in the wrong fight. Church people aren't your enemy. 
You can pray for their heart. In fact, you can pray for your own heart and say, God, help me to see them the way that you see them. Number two, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Ted, this don't mean walk around being salty, right? It means that we need to think about what we say and how we say it. It doesn't mean back down. That's not what I'm saying. You can always challenge. Somebody's waving the Christian banner and saying things that aren't, the followers of Jesus don't say. You can challenge their heart with the scripture every time, for sure. But what I'm saying is it has to be done in a spirit of gentleness. Um, Proverbs 15 tells us a soft answer turns away wrath. Talk about a life verse you need to remember. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up dissension. Proverbs 16 in the NLT says, It's better to be patient than powerful. It's better for you to have self-control than for you to go and conquer a city. So we need to have some, some seasoned speech. And, and then lastly, as we said in Romans before, there's, we, we need to remember there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. God's calling to tell us that right now. There's a little bit, right, there's a little bit of Pharisee inside of, of each one of us. Martin Luther said this, uh, religion is the default mode of the human heart. And, and so for us, church, for us, many of us, our religion is going to be our irreligion. Our religion is going to be our irreligion. And, and, and that's what we want to boast about sometimes. And so like for us, what we'll tend to boast, we'll be like, well, we got, we got tattoos and lead guitars and alcohol is okay here. And our pastors are on a smoke break right now. And so like, <laughs> I'm just, right? like we, we boast about how, how, unreligious we are and 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 what it is is actually there's it's not the religious people out there it's that we're all religious we just have different rules on our lists and so we got to remember hey it's Jesus who's the good shepherd he's the one who calls the sheep to himself those who believe in and follow him are his sheep and the boundaries are the sheep pen are marked out by Jesus and not our personal preferences See, Jesus, he knows your heart, and he knew the Pharisee's heart. Turning back to his point of view, verse 22. Look at verse 22 and 23. This is Jesus responding again. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he knew before they asked. He answered them, why do you question in your hearts? So he knows what they're thinking. He's God, the omni-Godhead here. He perceives what they're thinking. So he answers his question with another question in verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven to you, or rise and walk. But why does, he, why does he say this? Well, because forgiving someone's sins is an invisible spiritual transaction that, that they can't see. But, but he knows, and it's much easier to, to say, hey, get up and walk, because, you know, if Pastor John was laying here, and Pastor Cody was like, John, get up and walk. And then John didn't get up and walk. We would know. We would know that, that you know, he was a fraud. And so Jesus here says, hey, it's easier to, to prove this by, by me showing you this. And, and so Jesus heals here. Verse 24 and 25, he responds to their objection with this parable by way of miracle 24 and 25. But that you may know, here's the why, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, pick up your bed, go home. Immediately the guy gets up and picked up what he'd been lying on and he goes home glorifying God. And so here's what happens. Jesus, he, he looks at the man, he goes, hey, your sins are forgiven, so walk. I forgive your sin, but I, I also heal the paralysis that's over you, so that by you walking away, it's evidence that I am who I say I am, God. 
And with this one act, Jesus is communicating to the crowds and the Pharisees and the scribes who the Son of Man is. That this is the Son of God, the one who has descended from heaven, the one who reigns from the throne above, the one who will come to to judge the earth, and the one and the only one who has the authority and power to pardon the sinner. That's what Jesus is saying. And look at verse 25 again. Immediately he rose up picked up what he'd been lying on and he went home glorifying God. Church, the millisecond that Jesus speaks this word, this, this paralyzed guy, his legs are filled with strength and he gets up on, off of that stretcher and he doesn't need his friends to carry him in their faith anymore because he has a faith of his own. And so he picks up his stretcher and he walks out the door on his own, free of the paralysis, but more importantly, free of his sin. Man, what a, what a great day for this guy. He was carried in on a stretcher and, and he's carrying his own stretcher out as Jesus has healed him. Verse 26. And here's what happens. Amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Hold that verse up there, Caleb. Amazement seized them all. This is it, church, this verse. This is the one. Because we still haven't gotten over this. 2,000 years later, we are still looking in at who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And, and when people see that, they are still being filled with awe and with strength and with wonder, all at the glory of God. And despite all of the obstacles, all of the hesitations, uh, and despite the crowd, and despite the roof, and despite the church people getting in the way, it was from the faith of these four crazy friends that this man's life would forever be changed because they chose to follow God in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, one day, maybe years from now, the end credit of the movie that's, that's your life, it's going to roll into that final scene. And you're going to look back, and you're, and you're going to see the whole movie, but I just wonder, what will the final clip show everyone? Will it be, I, I felt like God was, was calling me in this, but I was, I was so afraid, and I couldn't let go of control that I never went or maybe it was, well, the, 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 the church people, they were pressuring me and I didn't know what to do, so I just didn't do anything. Or I had too many doubts and so I never moved close to God to bring him my doubts. <laughs> and it's like, oh no, you mean an obstacle showed up? That got in the way of you following Jesus? I just want to, did you try to rip off the roof though? Because look, man, if, if you want something sugar-coated, you can go to barbecue on the river in September and get a, a funnel cake. But for us, the reality is that in, here in Paducah and in Metropolis, we have two cities that are waiting for some faith-filled friends, some faith-filled crazy friends to show up to get people in front of Jesus that would be willing to carry them. And every single day, me and you, what we do is we walk through God's shop and we bump into objects of incalculable worth to him, and that is people. 
and every one of them comes with a price tag if only you and I could see it. And I just imagine with me for a moment watching those credits of your story roll and thinking back with regret at all that God might have done if you followed him. One of my favorite quotes, it comes from the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. It's by uh, Jim Cimbala, and it says this, I despaired at the thought that my life might pass by without God showing himself mighty on my behalf. Church, I want your life, I want my life to be more afraid of not following God than it is of following him and failing. Because he's, he's just given you one life to live and there's no replays and there's no do-overs in this life. And so for me, I never want to look back and think, man, I just, I played it safe. I was always systematic. It was always calculated. And I just sat in my little cocoon, my safety net. All the while, God is just showing off all around me and I was never involved in any of it. I don't want that. I don't want to see that. I don't know. When I get to heaven, when you get to heaven, man, I want to have some stories to tell. I hope, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm praying that, that, that James and John, the, the Thunder Buddies, they come up to you, Pastor Cody and Pastor John, Pastor Johan and Pastor Isaac, and, and they go, A.B., what was it like when you guys jumped over to Metropolis? Jesus was bragging about that and you've got you've got to tell us the story man like how how you were going and then and then Jesus just showed up you got to tell it I can't wait for that as we bow our heads this morning church this this is an Isaiah 6 kind of moment for us with every head bowed and eye closed um, in Isaiah chapter 6 the the Lord just asks his people a really simple question. He goes, hey, who would go for me? And Isaiah, he volunteers in faith. And he says, here am I, Lord. Send me. And Isaiah does. And he follows the Lord, the God who has saved him to his last day. Church, I, I need you to know, if, you're, if you don't know we're an Isaiah 6 kind of church. Where when God calls us, we go, here my Lord, send me. Here my Lord, I know, I know this ain't much to work with. But I know it ain't about me, it's about you. And I will follow you wherever you call me to go. No matter how painful it may seem, no matter how afraid I am. I trust you. We trust you, God. And so if you're a believer here this morning, I just got to ask, man, <laughs> why in the world would you trust God with your eternity, but you won't trust him with today? <laughs>